0: Welcome back, everybody. I feel like we could just keep chatting all afternoon. This has been lovely. Um, I wanted to, before we continue with the Q&A, I wanted to thank Shaw Spotlight. Wait, I think I've already done this. I've already thanked everybody. All right, let's just reconvene. Let's Let's get to some questions. <laughs> okay. Uh, I wanted to remind everybody that upcoming sessions are listed on SACPA's website, sacpa.ca, and let you know that you can listen to all of the details of this and share this session with your loved ones um, from that site, from the podcast, Um, and then it will be up on YouTube as well. Uh, From here, I just would like to remind everybody that our topic today is about play, Um, and we would invite your questions. Vicky will come on back up. Um, please state your name b- before your question. Uh, use the provided microphone, and I will ask that you keep your questions to short, topical comments, please, and thank you. Okay, we've already got some questions. Here you go, Vicki.
1: Thank you. Thanks, Cassie.
0: Hi, Vicki,
2: thank you for your presentation. So my question has to do with um, what levels of um, success you're having um with parents, given that there may be a disconnect between their perception of the play that they're allowing their children and of course what your perception is, is that you're trying to encourage, specifically with respect to the overstructuring of children's time hmm. and the what that may be, the counter, the unintended consequences of that with respect to what you're trying to accomplish with emotional maturity.
1: Great question. Um, We're, you know, we're, I guess, we have a lot of road yet to cover on that one, but how we've started is uh, through education, um, through bringing awareness in the community. We've been running some workshops for parents and caregivers and educators, uh, because even as our teachers um, and teaching staff get to learn, about the need for more unstructured play and things like that, they then can get that information to the parents and have those conversations with the parents that they have relationships with. Um, So really it's gonna be a process, uh, but even for you in this room here today, um, you can visit the Lethbridge Plays website. There's a lot of resources on it. You can share those with your children or with um, if you have other Parents um, in your life that you know have young children, you can share those as well. Uh, so really, it's it's got to be a community effort to bring awareness to the difference between the perceptions of the risk and the actualities of risk. Because there are harmful risks, and we're not um, encouraging that, but um, we want to know the difference between what are perceived uh, risks and what is our perception, but what is an actuality. Does that answer your question? <laughs>
3: Uh, Vicki, thank you very much uh, for being here <coughs> and for presenting. My name is Terry Shellington, and uh, it was thoughtful to me <coughs> one word that I don't believe you used once, and uh, excuse me, and that was the word television. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wonder, uh, I'd like to hear your comments on what television, what its relationship with play is. Is it antithetical uh, to the experience of play? Is it part of play? Um, uh, how, where do you define several hours of television in a kid's week?
1: Okay. Um, I guess we kind of tend to lump television under screens, so it's screen time, whether it's television or a tablet or a phone, so all of that would get lumped into uh, screen time. And you have...
3: Well, can I just c- comment on that, that that's true, although um, uh, handheld screens are in somewhat some ways interactive, but television uh, as a rule is not interactive, so.
1: True, yes. Yeah, so it's, I mean, television is more passive um, screen time where you're, you're not um, engaging physically, tapping or moving or playing a game, which a screen can sometimes allow. But even still, um, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't classify that under play. Um, it would be screen time. And uh, there is digital play for sure on different tablets and phones and things like that. And even on TVs, you can hook up an Xbox and uh, use a TV for that type of a play. But again, uh, we recognize that technology, we really need that balance. It, and, and with screen time, or with television too. You know, a child that watches eight hours of television a day is not getting out and being active and playing. So it repla- it's what it replaces is the challenge. So a bit of television time is fine, but if it's replacing all a child's uh, playtime, then that's where the emotional, social, and other skills that they need to learn um, start to deteriorate.
2: Vicki, my name is Pat, and thank you for your presentation today. I'm sure that most of us here When we played, it was unstructured. We got up, had breakfast, and we were gone. Mm -hmm. And I know that my nieces, who have kids under the age of 10, when their child was born, they were put in baby groups. And they were encouraged to get together, to have play dates. It was formalized and structured. We even have three-year-olds that are on organized sports. Do you think that we are too organized with our kids today?
1: Good question. Um, I do really think there needs to be a balance between the organized play and the unstructured play. Um, organized sports can teach children fabulous skills of um, you know, being coached and learning to follow rules and get along with teammates. And so there is real value in organized sports, but um, it's true, the pendulum has kind of swung where children tend to have every minute scheduled such that they don't have any margin for unstructured play, and even for being bored. Children being bored is an important aspect of becoming creative and imaginative. Uh, there's, there's, I've read a book recently about um, a crisis of innovation in our generation and younger, because kids aren't as innovative because they haven't been playing in the same way. So um, while, while structured play has some real value, uh, but there needs to be a balance of both.
4: My questions relate to risk, <clears throat> our risk aversiveness in our society, and it just—it just hurts me when um, I'm out in the public and I see a, a mom and a little kid, and I start interacting with the little kid and raising my eyebrows and playing hide and seek, and the little kid is—is <clears throat> is interacting with me and we're having this great time with eyes raised and so on, and the mother is sort of. Oh, my God, she's a kidnapper. You know, we've got to keep this kid away from this pervert. And it's, it's just really hard because I think parents have to be taught that interacting across the generations is yeah. good for kids. We're really not going to take them. I mean, we, we've done that. We do not want to do that again. That was great then, but, you know, at this age, raising my eyebrows and playing hide-and-seek is more than I really want to do. So, talking about risk is one thing. But one thing that you didn't talk about was proprioception, and that is um, understanding where our body is in space. Mm. And when we were living in Ethiopia, I volunteered at an orphanage with girls. It was a Lutheran orphanage. And the girls didn't play. These were somehow part of the orphanage. That wasn't really part of it, and I did all kinds of activities with the girls. But they didn't They didn't even know how to roll on the grass or, heaven forbid, um, learn how to do a cartwheel. So you talked about the fine motor and gross motor control and very things like that. But um, proprioception, knowing where we are in space so that the little boys can jump across the creek or the little girls can hang from the the monkey bars as in your slides, uh, I think that's a big thing and maybe bring that back to your group.
1: Yeah, that's... Great. Thank you for mentioning that. And it is a very important aspect because through play um, and that type of rough and tumble play or that active play, children do learn a sense of where their body is and isn't. And there are a lot of injuries in children because of a lack of, underst- or lack of awareness of where their body is. And so the play really helps with that.
3: Hi, my name is Bob Campbell. Thank you for your talk. It was uh, very informative. W- one of the statistics that stood out for me was the one about abductions in the RCMP statistics, 1 in 14 million, I think you said. Mm-hmm. I remember several years ago we were doing community consultations here in uh, Lethbridge about needs of parents and families, and fear of abduction was one of the main concerns of parents. So somehow we've made a real disconnect between reality and. Uh, fake news. Um, my question, you mentioned about organized sports, they can learn a lot. They can learn a lot, but it can also be very destructive and competitive and I think we need to balance that, so I think you should maybe maybe like get a comment on that. My question is, do you have any suggestions for parents, and does your group, on interventions to do on getting your kids off social media? Because I believe it's a serious issue that is distracting them from going outside and playing unsupervised.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the education on the risks of allowing a child to sit in front of a screen or on social media or something for hours a day, the risk of that, far outweighs the risk of getting outside and playing and the possible dangers that, that are out there. Um, so we're really trying to educate parents. We're, again, holding workshops, and um, our social media itself is trying to communicate the message of importance of play and of um, the balance with screen time and active play is how we've tra- is we've we've built a scale as a coalition, um, and we have something called digital play packs in the library, and that's that's all kind of trying to educate parents on the importance of that balance, so they can take those out at the library and learn about the balance of yes, playing some digital play with their child, but also um, getting off the screens and getting into that active play.
2: Uh, Lori Schultz, thank you very much for your presentation, Vicki, it was uh, very informative. Um, at the beginning of your presentation, you had mentioned that you were finding that one out of four children, beginning school, um, was found to be vulnerable. Um, I'm just curious about how that data is collected. And then just as a second follow-up question, and you have touched on this, I'm just curious about how Lethbridge plays actually rolls out on the ground to reach the child? Like, it sounds like you have a lot of irons in the fire, but maybe if you could just summarize. Sure.
1: Okay. um, For the EDI or the Early Development Instrument, uh, that was a assessment tool created at offered at McMaster University. Uh, it's been rolled out across Canada and used with over a million children in our country, but then also internationally in Australia, as well as the United States and a few other countries. So your question was, um, how is that data collected? So uh, the government in 2009 started a five-year project, a pilot, of collecting the EDI data in Alberta. So they did three rounds of assessment and collection in Uh, The the Ministry of Education was on board. They trained kindergarten teachers to assess the students uh, with the EDI assessment tool. And so they do that in the second half of the school year once they've gotten to know the students a bit. And so that happened, that collected the data, and that's what showed the government that, oh, wow, we really need to focus here on early childhood because there are some gaps. Um, Then they started the early childhood coalitions about... Uh, five years ago, and that's when I came on, and continued the collection of data. Unfortunately, under our new government, uh, they likely won't be doing the EDI collection anymore, which is a shame because we have past um, data to compare to, Uh, but even still, we know um, from the 2016 data collection, uh, so the school teachers uh, did that here. Um, in 2016, and then the data is analyzed on a provincial level and a report created by the Ministry of Health uh, that is then rolled out to the coalitions to share with the community. And if you're interested, I can provide you with some links uh, to look at—take a deeper dive into our EDI data, because our community has broken into five— sub-communities, so we actually have data that shows how the north side kids are doing, how the south side, how the west side on uh, north and south, and is the centre core. So, yeah, there's there's a lot that could be said about the EDI data for Lethbridge, um, but if you're interested, I could share that information with you.
5: I'm, I'm Henry Heinen, and I have actually three questions for you. <coughs> Excuse me. One is, I'm from a family of nine. Mom, every few years, had another baby. So we were kind of, you know, go play outside because mom needs rest, the baby has to be fed, and and so-and-so. That question centers on, is the size of our families today, (coughs) which are fairly small, not as healthy for, say, play outside than it was, say, a couple of generations ago? Mm -hmm. Secondly, your uh, all display there that uh, you got on the on the easel how does that apply to children that have special needs like with autism or FASD and Down syndrome that kind of stuff do, do we have to fine-tune that our massages so that we can have that fit and then thirdly a personal question <clears throat> I never knew my grandfathers I have 10 grandchildren and I made it my business to be involved in their lives? Can you respond to that?
1: Okay, Kelsey, I might need your help to remember all the questions. So num- number one was, I make sure I get it.
0: Size of family.
1: Yes, okay. Yeah, there is a difference in sizes of families, although we do have some families with five, six children. Uh, with the LDS population, they tend to have larger families, and um, so they, the siblings get to have a lot of um, play together. With a smaller family, I think there are some opportunities for, chil- or for parents to have to learn to step back a bit because they have, you know, if you have one or two children, um, it's easier to maybe be more actively involved, but to a detriment, where uh, you know we get the term "snowplow parent." You know they remove all the obstacles out of the child's way, um, so that that child never has to face any adversity or any challenge in their life, uh, and and. I think both family sizes can work. Families don't always get to choose how many children they have. So, um, but it's, it's just being aware, I think, the awareness that children need that freedom to roam, that freedom to play, and the space to play.
0: Number two was on um, accessibility and special needs and mm.
1: Yeah. Well, I think play, uh, the Lethbridge Plays Committee, really believes that play is inclusive. Play is for everyone, whether you're a senior or a child or whether you have a disability. uh, Play really transcends um, everything. And so uh, we want to make it inclusive for everyone. And um, that's a process of education and learning, even for us as stakeholders in the play charter. Um, Playgrounds, we have the city of Lethbridge Uh, Parks and Rec Department as a stakeholder on Lethbridge Plays, and they're looking about the accessibility of playgrounds, how can we make those inclusive, and things like that, so yeah.
0: (laughs) And number three, the changing role and involvement, and perhaps
1: responsibility, of grandparents. Great. Well, grandparents can have, are, have such a huge impact in children's um, development and the relationships that you have. I, I don't know if you've heard of protective factors, but basically one of the five protective factors is that uh, the, number of ch- the number of caring adults a, uh, a child has in their life um, decreases the likelihood of at-risk behavior. So, as grandparents, when you're actively involved in your children's lives, you make a huge difference um, to decrease those at-risk behaviors, because they know someone cares for them, someone loves them, someone they can talk to, uh, so you have a significant role. And like in that little video where the grandpa talks about building a brain through peek a you know, when you have those little grandkids, um, and you play games with them, and uh, in the back you mentioned about the you know, making making eyes at other children and things; those actually build the brain foundation. That back and forth, serve and return, where you're smiling at them, they're smiling at you. Those little babies or toddlers or preschoolers that's really building their brain. So, grandparents, we need you because <laughs> you're really helping to build the future uh, health and wellness of our kids.
6: Hi, my name is Knut Peterson. Uh, Talking about playing with your grandchildren, I I, I feel really uh, sad that my grandchildren have grown up to the point where they I'm not that interesting anymore. <laughs> uh, having said that, uh, I think for parents to tell their grandchildren to be more active and uh, uh, play more uh, while they're texting someone themselves is not a good example to set Mm. in order to get them off the iPads or whatever. Mm. Uh, That's a huge factor. And I'm uh, probably as guilty as anybody because whenever I see my youngest granddaughter is 10 and she wants to check out my cell phone every time I go there to see how many steps I've taken. (laughs) Uh, You know, my goal is 10,000 steps a a day, but it doesn't always hit that. And then she is critical of me for not getting, (laughs) So I, all I have to do is ask her, how many steps did you get in? Oh, <laughs> not very many. Right. But anyway, my question relates to liability, which is mm-hmm. a huge factor in, you know, parents can basically get sued if, they, if the kids get hurt uh, playing nowadays. Yeah. It's a really serious issue, the, the liability issue. And, and here you have the city is getting out of busing just because of liability, even though it's already been solved, they still want to get out of it. It's uh, like liability has taken over our world. And uh, I wonder if you can comment a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, that's uh, great to bring up. Um, We have uh, the risk management team at the city who sits on the Lethbridge Place Committee. Um, Part of the rationale behind the charter um, is that with the city adopting the charter, they now have a bit more room to reassess the risk um, involvement or level. That And um, Leanne, who heads up the risk management team at the city, she went and was part of a creation of the risk assessment tool that organizations can use, like early childhood uh, daycare centers, things like that, to assess risk. Um, so, So education is happening around that and the dangers, the greatest risk is not letting our kids play and not letting them outside. So we have to keep working towards uh, removing those fears and, I mean, the liability, is there, but even then, we've invited the police force. They've attended some of our committee meetings as well, so that they're aware if someone calls in and says, I saw Johnny playing in the backyard without a parent, then the police force can say, and that, you know, how old was that child, and, and explore it from, from the standpoint of understanding the importance of giving so- kids some ra- a reasonable risk, um, so, yeah liability is a challenge, but again, I think it's education that has to come um, to, to shift mindset and to make change so that the fear isn't driving the decisions we make. Instead, the, the research and the, the, the truth is kind of influencing what we decide to do with our children.
3: Hi, my name is Henning Mundel, and my question is, uh, is concerns rural, urban, mm. geography, and generations. Um, you had that one study with the field and the distances gone. I, I think a lot of your presentation seems, to, and that study, to me they seem to be very urban-centric. Mm. And I wonder if you have data or have comment about how these parameters may be different in the rural settings.
1: It's hmm. a good question. Um, you know, Lethbridge plays is urban because Lethbridge focus. Um, there are smaller communities doing uh, research and work around this. Um, I probably can't speak to that, uh, but I think it poses an interesting question. You know, what are the differences? Um, yeah, so I don't think I could speak to that. <laughs> Sorry,
0: ladies. If there's two more questions, just please keep them really brief. We're getting we're getting snug.
4: I didn't say my name before Bev mundell Latherstone. What was the name of the instrument again you use to early, measure
1: early development instrument or EDI?
4: EDI. Well I would recommend that everyone in the room write to the government and say please re <clears throat> implement this instrument because just when you get rid of the instrument then they're gonna say children don't need this this intervention. Yeah. And the early the earlier the intervention, the greater Um, market makes on the kid and helps them to be prepared for later learning. So, let's all write a letter.
1: Thank you. (laughs) Thanks Bev, that would be great. And my question
2: is a data question and follows very nicely uh, with Bev's. So, insofar as it would appear that our reality is, is that um, the instrument that you're using to measure the data uh, and, you know, follow it every so Many years, so what is the plan, or is there a plan, to fund the, um, to continue funding uh, for that data extraction, um, and and I guess having it safe for whenever there is a time when the government does want to be interested
1: again. Yeah, well. As I understand, um, our new government, we met with Minister Schultz, and she, we talked, we addressed the EDI collection and the lack of. Uh, It was scheduled to be done in 2019, um, but the new government uh, did not support that. So what we we conversed with her about the possibility of moving it forward, and the impression we got from her was that there's other data collection possibilities, and she's going to explore those. Um, the, the shame of that is that we lose the continuity of comparison from past years and all the work that's been done. So that's kind of where we're sitting. Sorry, just to follow up. So is there any
2: uh, ad hoc um, possibility of gathering funding from the stakeholders hmm. or the community, I mean, just to continue it, irregardless of the government?
1: Yeah, I mean, that is a possibility. The, the assessment tool, we would have to get all the school district on board because it happens, the assessment happens through the school district. So all the teachers um, and the superintendent, and everyone would have to be on board to make that collection happen. Um, but that's an interesting... now. Uh, they
2: are already on board
1: to collect. They have been in the past. Yeah, both Holy Spirit and Lethbridge School Division have always been on board every collection period.
2: It's the analysis that would have to be... Yeah, and the cost. It, it the would cost. cost
1: the school districts money, teachers' time, um, and training, which right now with, with funding for schools is tight, so. Okay. Thank yeah. You.
0: Okay, so we've got one last question, and then um, we'll we'll leave it for today. I think this is a, a great one to end on. Um, how would you say, Vicki, that play applies to seniors to keep their brains happy and healthy
1: and active. Okay. Well, play is (laughs) certainly important for everyone. And in fact, Dr. Gibb talks a lot about how play uh, regenerates cells and and, uh, strengthens your brain. So I think as seniors, um, you know, uh, there's risk. With knowledge of Alzheimer's or dementia, things like that, uh, play is a way of combating some of that. Um, or delaying it because play helps strengthen the brain cells and connections. And um, so it's really worth engaging in play as seniors, Uh, gives you joy, it reduces the stress levels, the cortisol in your brain uh, so that you can be healthier and uh, that increases your immune system. So there's lots of reasons to play as seniors. Plus, it's a great example for the younger generation when we see you playing, Uh, it reminds us too that play is important. Okay, great, thanks so much Vicki for everything.